I think finding strategies to make a tumor cell die through using these molecular switch type of approaches is something we could think about as we move forward. I'm Jane Grogan, and I'm a scientist. I've been at this for more than 20 years now, and I think perhaps the only thing better than doing science is talking about the science. Lucky for me, I work in a place where I am surrounded by some of the brightest minds in research. However, there's usually not much time to just sit and talk. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be hosting this podcast. I'm going to step away from my lab today and chat with a colleague about some of the cool stuff we're working on, especially as we try to link these discoveries to new medicines. So grab your favorite drink, get ready to unlock your science brain and join us for Two Scientists Walk Into a Bar a podcast for biotech geeks and the people who want to hang out with them. Today we're going to be talking about how cells transmit and integrate information they receive from the cell surface to inside the cell. We'll explore complex networks and signaling pathways that are activated inside the cell and discuss what all this may mean for the future of treating cancer. Okay, pop biology quiz. How do cells talk to each other? And no, the answer isn't using a cell phone. Um, gee, I don't know. Um, I don't know, I'm gonna have to pass. I was just thinking about that when I was walking to work this morning. <laughs> you kind of took my smart ass answer away. <laughs> I, I mean, for the way I see it, they just bump into each other. And... <laughs> That's a good one. I couldn't even begin to answer that. Through like the receptors and the signaling things. I honestly, I have no clue. I didn't know that there was any communication between cells. I think there's something to do with the chemicals that they release, but I honestly do not know at all. <laughs> Fortunately, my guest today actually aced that quiz. I'm here with Shiva Malek, a biochemist who has spent her entire career eavesdropping on the chatter going on inside our cells. Shiva is an expert on how molecular pathways signal within those cells and how we might use medicines to impact those signals. As a principal scientist in discovery oncology, she's focused on when the signals lead to cancer. Welcome. Thank you, Jane. Great to be here. I'd like for you to take us on a journey of kind of what happens when a receptor on a cell gets engaged and then a signaling cascade takes off and what goes on inside the cell. I guess if you think of our highway system, cells in many ways are similar, that they require coordination of thousands of events to happen just for a cell to get a signal, say, to secrete something that's important for, let's say, your immune system. And I think in many ways you can think of disease, particularly in cancer that I work on, that it's just a signal that's gone completely awry. That's the part of it that is really fascinating to me is how these events are regulated. And one of the classic proteins that are responsible for mediating these events are a class of proteins or enzymes called kinases. And essentially what a kinase does is it tags another protein with phosphate groups, which then can transmit the next signal downstream. So this exquisite assembly is really important to essentially have all the signals in the cell happen at the right time, to happen in the right order, to happen for the right length of time duration. Jane? Yes, Wellington. So what is a kinase again? That's Wellington, my producer. Well, you can think of kinases as conductors that bring other proteins together in the cell to affect different behaviors, like growth, 
reproduction and cell death. This happens all the time in normal cells, right? Our bodies as need to do as, as we're speaking <laughs> yes. here, it's this going on a million odd times yeah. in every cell right That's now. That's right. <laughs> it's happening all the time. And in cancer, what happens is you have a mutation within a protein inside the cell, and now you no longer need that cue from the outside. And that signaling pathway or the string of proteins that we're talking about is just always on, and it doesn't know when to turn off. So. Understanding how things work in normal cells is quite important to understand how it works in a disease state. So then by targeting a kinase, you have the opportunity to kind of break that transfer of building block information and break that chain of information. And the other opportunity you have is to do it in a tumor-specific fashion. So if you know you're targeting a mutated kinase and that mutation only occurs in your tumor cells and not in your normal cells, you have the opportunity to just inhibit that pathway in the tumor cell and leave your normal cells alone. Which is really important when you think clinically, right? Because right. you want to get exquisite specificity as much as possible and leave the healthy cells untouched. That has to be part of your approach to any kind of drug discovery in any therapeutic area, <laughs> <Absolutely>. frankly, but um, <laughs> particularly in cancer. When you talk about understanding this in the context of disease and these protein kinases, these enzymatic functions are what a lot of small molecule targets that we use to target diseases are actually interacting with. What do you guys mean by a small molecule target? In drug discovery, we talk about small molecules and large molecules. Antibodies are large molecules that are too big to get through the cell wall. So they're typically useful for targets that are on the surface of a cell. If the target is inside the cell, you need to use a small molecule, something small enough to penetrate through the cell wall. These small molecules are normally delivered with a pill, whereas large molecules like antibodies need to be infused. The kinases utilize a cofactor in cells called ATP to mediate these catalytic reactions that I just described. And we can use small molecule drugs that essentially prevent the enzyme from doing its function. Now, this is kind of classic enzymology that many of the folks out there that are in college now may have learned. But what's interesting in the context of kinases that we've discovered is that oftentimes the drug doesn't just inhibit catalytic function, but it also induces different conformations of its specific target, which mediates other functions. Six years ago, we reported this with this novel mechanism of BRAF inhibitors, where we observed this paradoxical activation with BRAF inhibitors, depending on which and context BRAF, of course, is... is a kinase that's mutated or activated in subsets of melanomas. And so what we discovered was in the context where BRAF is mutated or activated, the drug worked quite well. But then if you went into a context where BRAF was wild type, you actually activated the pathway instead of inhibited it. And so this kind of started the wheels turning. We started thinking that, okay, perhaps we need to revisit how we viewed kinases and think of them as molecular switches rather than just simple enzymes. So essentially, if there was a difference in the kinase, even if minute, a drug might have a very different effect. That's correct. And in this case, it was the opposite to the one intended. How did you and colleagues in the field first identify the BRAF story and the BRAF mutation and how that may have led to differing outcomes yeah. in th therapeutically? So that's a good question, and it's actually an interesting story. We thought that a BRAF inhibitor should work in several different tumor contexts. One would be where BRAF is itself mutated. Another context should be where 
a protein upstream of BRAF is mutated. So RAS, one of the most mutated oncogenes, is mutated, which also ultimately does talk to BRAF. In that context, you could envision BRAF is just downstream of RAS. It should also work there. So we initially started doing some experiments, taking the BRAF inhibitor in the RAS mutant tumors and asking, does it work equally well there? And to our surprise, what we saw that not only was a drug not working, but it was enhancing tumor cell growth in that context. That's very paradoxical. And that's, yeah, therein lies the paradoxical BRAF activation of the pathway. And again, in the context where BRAF was mutated, the drug was working fine. And again, when we saw this and we reported this along with several other labs, the idea was that this was potentially happening clinically. How has this affected the whole kind of field of small molecule drug discovery? I think a few ways. Identifying drugs that inhibit or modulate protein-protein interactions has basically been like the holy grail of drug discovery very difficult to do because oftentimes those protein-protein interfaces are large, there's no distinct pocket, say, to put a small molecule in there. Now, in contrast, it also creates some challenges for us. We have to think really long and hard about how we're gonna apply our kinase inhibitors and in what context, what diseases we're gonna apply it. Because you might think your drug works in every single tumor type that has a mutation, but in fact, the context is going to be very dependent on how the tumor responds to the drug, and you can get a whole host of different effects that you were not expecting, so basically unanticipated consequences of drugs. So we've gone from the normal cell, and we've talked a little bit about a tumor cell, but could you kind of elaborate more on the role these kinases are playing in mutations within the context of a tumor, and then why it's really important to target these? So a lot of these mutations that we see in kinases are what we call somatic mutations. So over time, depending on, let's say, DNA damage that somebody got being out in the sun, there's many different reasons why you may get a mutation in a specific gene. So what is a somatic mutation? It's just a kinase mutation within the DNA that can lead to uncontrolled cell growth. It's this what we call an oncogene addiction or addiction to that mutated kinase. And, and the tumor cell is essentially dependent on that mutated kinase for growth. And so as you can imagine, if I now block the activity of that kinase, the tumor cell should no longer Which obviously grow. sounds very simple, but in this case, we were yeah. finding that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's all, you know, as like many things, easier said than done. And of course, the tumor is much smarter than we are and finds ways to escape the inhibition that we induce with the drug. I, I just think it's remarkable that they escape by just structurally changing a protein to get around the drug and that they can still be dependent on this pathway. And that's one of the intriguing things and it tells us a lot about how important the pathway is, whether it's through mutations that render the kinase resistant to your drug or through alternative mechanisms, bypass mechanisms or allosteric mechanisms that essentially prevent the drug from binding, the tumor can bypass it. And it's really pretty fascinating, I think, and, and almost daunting on the other hand, thinking about how can you find a way to really inhibit these types of mutant kinases in a durable fashion. And so what's next in the field? It sounds like, you know, in the last few years of uncovering these structural changes in the kinase proteins, and which provides a different state from them being on and off. Where is the field, you know, where are you and your colleagues kind of looking to and where will you be in 10 years from now? Yeah, 
Wow, that's a tough question. Of course, you know, we all Throw have the crystal balls. please. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I'll be potentially very embarrassed to hear this in 10 years. But so I think a few things. One is from this diagnostic standpoint, so trying to understand the heterogeneity in tumors and all the different types of mutations you can get in any one single tumor and trying to be able to diagnose that or detect that as early as possible so we can tailor our medicines for each individual patient. I think that's one really interesting point. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit more. It's just not these cancerous cells. It's not just one mutation that changes and a tumor cell is fixed that way. There are multiple different types of mutations that can lead to an onkinase state. There are lots of different flavors of mutations. Uh, there are different ways to get to that activated state. There are different parts of that signaling pathway that we talked about, different nodes that can be mutated. And you see a diverse array of these mutations within each individual tumor even. So as you can imagine, if you target just one mutated state, you are gonna get the other cells in that tumor that didn't have that mutation to grow out. So I think the future will be to kind of understand and deal with some of that, which is what we call heterogeneity in a tumor. It's not all one pure mutant disease. It's a very complex disease. That's certainly one area in the future as we continue thinking about this and developing new approaches for this. The other is from a drug discovery standpoint, again, thinking harder about how we can interrogate protein-protein interactions in a way with small molecule drugs to turn switches both on and off. And there are potentially approaches you might want to use that you might want to turn a signal on. For instance, um, you know, in normal cells, we have cues for the cell to die. And that's a very important cue, right? You want to be able to die when things have gone awry and you want to be able to have the cell survive when things are fine. And it's a very natural process, right? It's a Our totally cells natural are turning over process. the whole time. And that's right. And so I think finding strategies to make a tumor cell, say, die through using these molecular switch type of approaches is something certainly that we could think about as we move forward. And the kind of in terms of small molecule drug discovery, the other area that I think is really exploding is bifunctional molecules. So molecules which may bind to more than one target at once. You mean small molecules? So the, small molecules, so the drug itself? The drug itself has multiple targets. There's been a slew of recent papers that have come out with several different flavors of this. And I think that will kind of open the door for us to think about the signaling pathway more in a holistic way rather than identifying an individual target to inhibit. And maybe we block multiple members of a pathway through these bifunctional type of molecules that I think seems pretty fascinating. And then finally, you know, obviously we need to do some novel target discovery. So there are many cancers that have what we call activating mutations, so mutations which turn an enzyme on, but there are also similarly a lot of cancers that have what we call loss of function or mutations that turn that pathway or that kinase or that protein off. And there we have to come up with, again, new ideas, new targets or new dependencies now that that tumor cell might have to specifically kill the tumor and not your normal cell. And that's an area of pretty heavy discovery, both here at Genentech and obviously academic labs and pharma companies across the globe. So on this last point, practically, 
What does that look like? Because the story you've just described, and it sounds very simple here as we chat <laughs> together, it's like there's a kinase and you target it, and it can switch, it can change structure. It sounds very simple. To come up with a, a drug to sit into that pocket or sit on that protein. The reality is a lot different, right? That coming up with a small molecule and coming up with one that's very specific for one target and not another target Walk us through this process. Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's evolved over the years. And actually, it's one of the reasons I went into, you know, studied biochemistry was uh, based on a book I read, The Billion Dollar Molecule, which was all about structure-based drug design. Completely inspired me. So there is certainly an element of rational design is what we call it. We think we're really smart. And, you know, for the most part, we are. And we can design these drugs, these small molecules, by understanding the structure. So this is the molecular structure where each amino acid is in a protein kinase. So it's like mapping it in 3D, looking at, finding the pocket, targeting it. And getting a drug, yeah, to sit in that interface right where you want it in that pocket. And I think a lot of the challenges, like you're talking about broad, there are... 500 kinases, right? And we only want to hit, say, one of the 500. So having that insight obviously helps you quite a bit so that you could specifically target the kinase you want and not the kinases you don't. But that's probably the biggest challenges we have, and it's really critical to developing a drug and and ideally a therapeutic that will help patients. It's so fascinating, this whole field, because I think we uncover more and more understanding or insights into biology we think we know the next thing. It's very logical that something will happen. And I think the wondrous thing about the jobs that we have is that you never quite know what's under the next stone that you're going to overturn. And so I think the work that you've been doing is very exciting. Where are you going next? So it's interesting. I started with asking the question, how do these proteins get turned on and what happens when they get turned on, particularly with BRAF? And now I'm asking the question, how does this get turned off? (laughs) I think, you know, as I described, we have these switches that get turned on and off, but not only is it conformational change that turns proteins on and off, but they actually get turned over. They actually get degraded. They, we lose them in cells. And so that's where I'm interested in exploring. And I think hopefully that'll open some insight and new opportunities and doors and and how we think about therapeutics and targeting these pathways. So for example, not just the function of that kinase, but how that kinase is actually turned over and produced and regulated as well. Right, it's life cycle essentially. It gets made at a distinct point and then it has, just like anything else, a protein has a lifetime, it sticks around the cell and then ultimately it gets degraded. And so I think the more we understand about how that entire life cycle works, and potentially, maybe in the mutated case, right, that life cycle looks somewhat different. There is some evidence to suggest that. So it sounds like we need to stay tuned to hear more about how proteins are degraded in the future. That's right, that's right. Shiva, it's been a delight to talk to you and we look forward to hearing more about your research in the future. Thanks, Jane, it was great being here. Really enjoyed it. Wow, amazing stuff. If you want a visual to go with what we've just talked about, check out our Big Ideas video, The Case of the Wild Kinase. It's on Genentech's YouTube channel. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new show. In the meantime, be sure to tell your fellow science fans about us, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and most importantly, subscribe and rank us on iTunes. And now, for me, it's back to the lab. Back to the lab.